Thank you, Jacob, and praise team, worship leaders. Dr. Glore, thank you so much for that very gracious introduction. And to Dean Still, this fine faculty and staff, students, and yes, a few alumni too. I am so honored to be with you. Um, when Dr. Glore extended this invitation several months ago, before I knew the next chapter of God's call in my life, I was eager to accept and to just come back and say a small uh, measure of thanks for the few years that I was able to spend uh, with this fine institution. And just three years is not nearly long enough uh, to understand or begin to fathom uh, the seeds that are planted in the hearts and lives of ministers, especially this one, and to contemplate all that God can do through a seminary experience at Truett Seminary. And the way you have cultivated my life, nurtured, watered, and stayed with me through this, through this life of ministry thus far, I can't begin to express my appreciation and thanks for all that you continue to do and what this community means to me. Which should give us a little bit of comfort today, knowing that three years is not nearly long enough to train us to be everything that God is going to call us to be. And that was certainly the case for the disciples as well. Traditionally, we think of Jesus spending about three years in ministry with those first disciples. And I'm reminded just by reading through the New Testament how much Jesus left behind for his disciples to accomplish through the power of the resurrection in their lives. Just take, for instance, here in our text for this morning in Acts chapter 3. What little we know about this nameless lame man is actually found in Acts 4 when our writer tells us that he was 40 years old. Now certainly that's long enough for Israelites to wander. It's also long enough, if with a little bit of creative math, to know that this man was probably the same age of these very apostles, Peter and John, who are passing him by. And they're left at the steps of the beautiful gate near Solomon's portico. More than likely, uh, we can just imagine for a moment that Peter and John saw this man even before Jesus died, before he was resurrected. They would pass by, and as the custom would have been, certainly to give him alms and to care for him, because as Jewish worshipers left the gates of the temple, they would have been expected to care for the poor. That was their benevolent system. And in fact, Jesus would have taught, at least according to John 10, in this very spot where Peter and John are now teaching. But something has changed. And someone has changed them. Because this time in Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John are passing by, perhaps seeing even a man their very own age, who has been left at the, at the steps of the beautiful gate, paralyzed, lame for life. This time they say something different to him. Maybe it's something that you find in your own ministries. Instead of giving alms to the poor, they actually speak to him as if he counted, because he did, because his life really mattered. But it's the phrase he uses that is so fascinating to me. They simply say to this lame man, look at us. Look at us. Now if you read through the book of Acts, you know that staring and glaring have very important functions.
Christ, or Jesus, the disciple, Jesus and Luke, the disciples, apostles and Acts. People are always staring and glaring and gazing at things. The disciples gaze upward into heaven as Jesus ascends in Acts chapter 1. The castle glares at Stephen as he delivers that powerful sermon prior to his martyrdom. Even Stephen is staring and glaring into heaven, gazing with a face like the face of an angel. Cornelius stares in fear at this vision that God gives him. And even Peter has to look intently at his own vision. So we should be reminded that when someone is staring and glaring and acts, something very powerful is about to happen. We're just not exactly sure what. But in this particular text, staring not only happens in here at the beginning of the healing process when Peter says to this lame man, look at us, but all the people are gathered around staring at Peter and John, which should also give us some comfort in the work of ministry because if there is ever anything true about the life of the church, they are always looking at you. Is that right? They're looking at you before they ever meet you. Before the search committee ever interviews you, they've already Googled your name and checked out your Facebook profile. Yes, they're looking at you. They're looking at you as you greet the worshipers on Sunday morning, as they stare at you in conversation, standing there in the back of the sanctuary, greeting everyone as they leave. Yes, they are watching you which made me a little bit uncomfortable the first few times I realized that someone actually paid attention to what I was wearing and how I looked and they commented on my reaction to something that I didn't even recognize. And then I began to think about this a little bit and I realized that some of the reason, part of the reason I think that they look at us so intently and they are staring at us is they are looking for something that only we have experienced based on the power and calling of God in our lives because they are experiencing, much as my friend Michael Parsons here has written about, they are experiencing very much what this lame man is experiencing. They are simply stuck. If there's one thing I have found that believers and non-believers share in this world today, whether people who come to church or people who have dropped out of church a long time ago, they find themselves just simply paralyzed, stuck. Stuck whether it be in the old rituals of what we have done before because their dreams are much greater than their memories, or they're stuck at a little league ball field trying to manage the schedules of two or three children. They're stuck. They're lying in a hospital bed staring at you as you give them a word of hope before you go, before they go into surgery. They're walking through the receiving line at the funeral home and you're there and you're standing right beside them. They're greeting people as they come to give them a word of comfort and hope in the midst of the loss of their loved ones. And they're staring at you. They love to watch you. They love it when you hold their baby for that baby dedication and you smile as if that child is the only child that ever mattered, especially after that child just simply throws up all of that formula right on your pressed suit. Yes, they're staring at you. They're watching. Because they too know what it's like to be pulled and torn apart by the very same things that have happened in your life. 
And what Peter and John do for this lame man is exactly what we do for not only our parishioners, but also our prospects. They say to this man, look at us. Look at us because just a few weeks ago, maybe even a couple of years ago, we were known as, remember that reputation that Peter and John had? What did Acts call them? The ordinary, uneducated men. That they classified themselves as average fishermen with anger management problems and all the kind of baggage that came from their profession. They were known as soon as the Spirit fell on them, everyone knew of their reputation so much that they just assumed they were drunk. Because perhaps at some time in their lives, they had too much to drink. But now, now someone had changed them. The power of the risen Christ was so much alive and well in them that when Peter and John say, look at us, what they are inviting the lame man to see is exactly what you are inviting your congregation to see. The risen Christ shining through you. In all your warts and vulnerabilities, your problems and pain, we don't give them the perspective of a minister that has it all together with a nice dress and a suit and a tie and has all the quick fix answers. No, in fact, that's the danger anytime you ever are interviewed by a search committee or happen to be there three or four years and you've tried every sort of method they taught you in life and work of the preacher and they look at you and say, what is it that we do? The temptation is to sort of revert back to what Peter and John would have normally done. Let me give you just a little silver or gold, you know. Let me give you a program or an idea. I read this website. It was a nice blog. They're trying this at the church down the road that seems to be growing so fast because they have that wonderful new worship leader that, yes, we remember when the youth minister took a hundred families and went off and started that church. Let's try to do what they're doing. Yeah, we could give you that silver and gold. But not you. Because you know how dangerous it is to resort to the quick fix solutions of our world. No, you have, you've been to Truett Seminary where they're forming and shaping you for a life of character. Where you've been through such a transformation process in your life that you know the only thing that you have to offer the lame and paralyzed in your world and our world today is the risen Christ shining through you. Which is exactly what Peter says. Silver and gold have I none. But I will offer you the name of Jesus. And in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, he reaches down and grabs this lame man. He lifts him up as if he's taken him right off the pages of Isaiah 35. Just as the prophet predicted that his ankles became straight, that he leaps around. Obviously not the usual reaction to maybe a small group that you lead, but certainly the very possibility that the very people in your life, in your congregation, in your neighborhood, or on your swim team, might be the very people left at the gates of religion, but through the power of the risen Christ working in you. 
That you would reach down and lift them up by the power of Christ in your life. And what does He offer him? A whole new life of mobility and living and serving in the power of the risen Christ. That as the people stand and stare around, Peter preaches one of his powerful sermons about a promise as well as a presence. The presence of Christ is in this man just as he is in the apostles. That if you look back on our lives, you can see a resume full of denials and failures that would not have been possible without Jesus looking at us and looking at you. And one day Jesus will return with that very same power for the world. So now animated by that resurrection power in our lives, we by God's grace and glory extend the proclamation of the unhindered gospel with the only message that we've ever been entrusted with to proclaim in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. I mean, just look at our lives. I was an only child from Pensacola. I came to Truett Seminary still wondering about that call. And it's because of professors and, and, and church members and, and friends and community and, and fellow pastors that poured into me that helped me work out and learn what it is that God would call me to do and is still calling me to do. And it would only be because of His work in me that I could even stand before you today. <laughs> Maybe the best example I could give you is is uh, after I finished here at Truett and, and interviewed with 25 or so search committees, a church out in McGregor that I never thought that I would pastor, but we found I did. And I had no idea what I was doing out at Baptist McGregor. But I had some good training. One of the best ministers I ever worked with in McGregor was a, a volunteer preacher with Down Syndrome named David Zacharias. Now David's still alive. He lives by himself in McGregor. He's under the care of a caregiver. But at the time, David was cared for as an adult man with Down syndrome by his parents, Billy and Herbert Zacharias. Billy was a Baptist and she chose the church and Herbert was a Lutheran. So Herbert never joined the Baptist church, but he came to support his wife and his son. But uh, David took care of all of us. David was in charge of the nursing home service on Wednesday mornings and I was quickly assigned to go down to the nursing home and practice on these nursing home patients who were asleep by the time I ever gave up, got up to give my devotional. But it was David who knew what he was doing. Because one morning, in came a woman wheeling in her aged elderly mother who had just relocated to the McGregor nursing home. The woman's name was Laura. David quickly befriended her as he did everyone with his wonderfully disarming joy and hospitality. He and his mom sat beside Laura and by the time the devotional was over, they had already convinced Laura that she needed to come to First Baptist McGregor to stay for lunch, to be welcomed by the church, and to be taken care of. Well, Laura did and she came a few times. And then Laura invited me to come to her home and meet her husband, Tommy. Now, Tommy was retired from waste management. They lived in a big house out on Highway 84. And I went over to visit Tommy. He was wonderful, welcoming, gracious, hospitable. And he said, now, preacher, I'm never going to attend your church. 
But I would like to invite the whole church out for barbecue. I thought that was a rather odd way of showing his thanks. But he's a little bit like those people you meet in Luke 10 and Matthew 10, what Mike Green calls those persons of peace. They're not believers yet, but they welcome and serve you and love you. So sure enough, Tommy decided to have the whole church out for barbecue and a festival, all these kinds of things. And so after about two or three barbecues, I finally summoned up the courage to say to Tommy, tell me again why it is that you won't come to the church. He said, come out to my house and I'll tell you. So one afternoon I went out and had coffee with Tommy and he looked at it. He told me a story. About 40 years earlier, he had been attending church very faithfully with his wife and his son died. And for whatever reason, the minister left town that day and the church never called. Sunday school class never visited. Nobody came to the funeral. And he promised himself that he would ever, ever Go to church again. And he was stuck on Highway 84 inside a house prison walling him off from people of faith. And for the first time in his life, he was finally looking at a church that cared about him. Well, that wasn't the end of Tommy's adventures. And there's much more about Tommy's life that I can tell you, and I never finished working with Tommy. He started sneaking in the back on Sunday nights because we had Sunday night church. He started watching and paying attention, and after I received the call to go to South Baptist in San Angelo, I left Tommy in the good care of Billy and Herbert and David and Laura. And they kept loving and nurturing and caring and eating all the barbecue that Tommy could serve the First Baptist Church safely from the confines of his house until my successor, Danny Reeves, arrived in McGregor. Now, Danny is a little more persistent than I am. Danny's now, of course, a canon pastor. But while he was there in McGregor, Danny, too, summoned the courage to work and to love on and come behind all the work that Jesus had left for us to do there. The little seeds that were planted in Tommy's life began to be watered and nurtured and blossomed forth, and Danny baptized Tommy on profession of faith. A few months later, Tommy received a diagnosis from doctor that he was dying of stage 4 terminal cancer and passed away. Danny did his funeral. But not before he had a chance to look a congregation in broken, hurting, yes, wounded people. What he saw for them is the risen Christ. That's who you are. You are God's agents of the resurrection. You're the messengers. The heralds of the good news of the unhindered gospel that if God can look at a disciple and stare him right in the eye the moment that he denies him three times and change his life to an apostle who can proclaim the power of the risen one in this lame man's life. Imagine what he's doing in you right now. And if you doubt God's power today in your life, well, 
Look at us. Would you bow with me for prayer? So often, Lord, we are the ones who have been left at the gates. On the roadsides of life, waiting to hear your call, waiting for the phone to ring, waiting for the doctor to give us the news. And Lord, somehow by your power and your grace working in this place today, you have spoken again. Through the music that has been sung, the scriptures read, the message preached. And for every person here today, I pray that the power of the risen Christ would come alive again in them today. For this faculty and staff, these students and these alumni who gather here, who know the power of your grace that is still working on each one of us, I pray that we would humbly and obediently submit to your authority. And we, like Peter and John, would powerfully proclaim a message of hope to our congregations. Because right in front of us, yes, even maybe on Highway 84, as we go home today, we will find the next lame man and woman that needs the gospel. Would you allow us to be the people worth watching? In Jesus' name we pray.